Hi, this is Ellie Rader of the Professional Humans Podcast. I'm here to let you know that the episode you're about to hear is partially live and partially in studio. We had a couple of um, audio issues during the recording, and we had to come back into studio and piece a couple of the segments of the live episode together. So you're going to hear the audio change a couple of times, and we will walk you through it, but just wanted to give you a heads up. Enjoy the episode. How much do you all wish I could beat box right now? I will tell you that I wish I could beat box um, and blow your minds, but that's not what I'm going to do right now. I'm Ellie Rader. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming to the Aster. Uh, thank you uh, to the Aster. I can't see any of you. I'm kind of glad. This was a way better idea in my head than it is actually right now. A um, couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, if you haven't found the restrooms, they're out and down a really long hallway. Um, that way. Um, that's Matt, the bartender. I want you to buy lots of drinks from him, and I want you to give him really big tips, because he's great, and he's working just for this event tonight. So thank you. Uh, we're recording. So if you brought food over, Alana, I'm looking at you. Don't drop your fork. That would be great. We are recording. You can have outbursts and you can swear. Yes. <clears throat> but I don't want you to drop your fork. Uh, so the way tonight's going to work, uh, we're going to have a little conversation. Hopefully it's helpful and fun for you. We'll try to wrap up at around 7.15, 7.30. Uh, we are going to have a Q&A at the end of the conversation um, with the guests that join us. Um, so hold your questions till the end. You already have a million of them. Um, before we get uh, started with uh, bringing people on stage, I want to tell you about three uh, really big changes that have happened with professional humans since the last time we were together. Oh my god, it's so hot up here. <laughs> so hot. That light, I am glad I'm not a rock star. Um, the first change, there was a breakup. And I want to tell you about it. It's important for you to know. Uh, we used to get comments when we recorded the show before about how charming it was. We got tens of comments. <laughs> that um, people liked the sound. The way we were recording, they liked the sound of the ice in the glass, and they could tell we were drinking gin. <laughs> Very charming. I want you to know I've broken up with gin. <laughs> and the reason I need you to know that is because many of you who have come to our live events before, uh, being uh, entranced by the charming sound of our gin, would send gin up <laughs> to the stage, and the table would fill, and we would drink it. And I want you to know that it looks the same water. Uh, it doesn't do the same thing. So please don't send gin. Matt, water, not gin. Okay, number two, there was a move out. Uh, you will, if you've listened to our previous episodes, you will remember there was a character on our show who used to um, harass the guests, sniffing, licking, making this... <laughs> and then run through the room with the fucking collar jingling. 
Dobby, you remember the dog? <laughs> he moved out, and in our new episodes, he's not in there. You won't hear the fucking collar anymore. <laughs> Alana, I found his boots. That's where Dobby lives now, with his new mom, who loves him dearly, and is going to try to put boots on him. I know how it's going to go. It's not going to go great. Uh, lastly, third major change. Uh, when you have a podcast like Professional Humans, where you don't actually have any answers or science, um, and all you do is ask questions. It's important to have a really, really good team. And so there's a new team. And I would like to introduce you, uh, first of all, to Jim Keen. <laughs> Say hi to Jim. Uh, Jim Keen has been delightful to work with. He's kind of the wizard behind the curtain. There isn't a curtain, but um, he's the executive producer and the secret boss of all of this. So he's the reason you're here tonight. Um, so thank you to Jim. Uh, secondly, uh, I would like to introduce new co-host, uh, my dear friend and amazing co-host. I can't. I think you will be as delighted as I have been about what she brings to the show, uh, Aileen Guiney. <laughs> Aileen and I are going to have a little chat, you can listen, uh, about how the show got started and then we'll bring our guests up that I know you're waiting for. So. Hi Aileen. Hi Ellie. How are you? I'm good. Let's have a little chat. There was a story. Yes. Uh, a real life story. Yes. That happened to us, to me, and then I roped you in to my story. You wrangled me right I into it. I wrangled you in, uh, as the case. Uh, and it was sort of the, um, it was beginnings of the premise for this season, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, I was at my own uh, self-advocacy intersection, mm -hmm. which is uh, the theme of this season, and had been very familiar and comfortable with a, a certain voice in my head that was very rational in going into these types of situations. It was a, uh, a meeting with uh, my leader about sort of all the guts of the things at work that are hard to talk about, right? Um, scope of responsibility, compensation, org structure, all of that. Mm -hmm. And um, as I was preparing, I encountered this other voice in my head who I had not heard from before and did not invite to the party <laughs> and um, she was uh, full of uh, a lot of bias mm -hmm. and I was embarrassed and surprised to learn that some of the barriers for me feeling really prepared going into this conversation um, were what felt to me at the time really gendered um, all of a sudden I this voice in my head was saying things like oh you're being too assertive or are you being a bitch? Or maybe you need to talk about the team first. This is selfish. Don't do it this way. Hmm. And, you know, I have to say, um, this far along in my career and being sort of this comfortable with uh, myself in most circumstances, I was a bit lost. So I wrangled you into having coffee with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I told you this story, and we came up with this funny <coughs> shorthand um, for uh, a concept we'll also talk about in this season on alter egos. 
for how to deal with it. Um, and for those listeners that remember that period in the early 90s when um, lots of folks, not just Christian folks, were wearing what would Jesus do bracelets? <laughs> <laughs> um, then WWJD become, became this like um, funny, uh, sometimes serious, sometimes not serious shorthand for, you know, second guessing or double checking your thinking on a, on a hard topic. Right? Yeah, I think I just sort of off the cuff, when you presented what you were experiencing, I just sort of said, well, what would a man do? And I think the thing that caused me to say that was some of my own experience mm -hmm. uh, at my work at that time. Um, and it, it was just kind of top of mind of, would we behave differently if, if we were men than um, as women? And, and it wasn't to say we should do what the man would do. It was to explore what they might do and decide whether or not that was the right course of action or how we might modify that behavior to to um, progress through what we needed to do. And it was good advice. I used it in the short term as a way to sort of um, uh, ditch this unhelpful voice. Right. Right. Um, and to your point, not just mimic what some imaginary man would do. But it also um, started a slow launch on some conversations that you and I then were having, um, which sort of gave rise to this season. Yeah. Um, but our hypothesis changed. In the beginning, um, the hypothesis was maybe a little bit more, you know, gosh, um, is there a difference in gendered experiences their folks are having? Because advocating for yourself at work is hard. Mm -hmm. Look at us. We're, it's hard. We can testify right mm -hmm. um but what we found along the way is maybe it wasn't so gendered right it was more experiential more um what uh what people needed to learn in the moment um there were we found that people were more willing to do things i don't want to say for free but with less compensation or or less consideration for for impact to themselves earlier in their careers so that they could learn more and that it didn't matter if they were male or female, mm -hmm. and that as they gained experience at work um, and found themselves with different leverage, uh, as we've talked about it, the, the, the P&L, as they ha had a, a wealthier P&L, <coughs> um, th that changed, and how they advocated for themselves changed. So as we dug into the challenges of self-advocacy with our guests, I think um, one of our tendencies was to think about the really big stuff, like being overlooked for your contribution or not getting the title or the promotion or the compensation that you wanted. We wanted to make sure that we weren't losing sight of also the micro decisions um, that we make every day uh, because we believe those take a toll. Uh, on and that they add up and over time can cause uh, disengagement or resentment. And that's almost worse than one moment of not getting a, uh, the raise you wanted or the title you wanted because you know exactly what, what caused that. But when you let small things add up over time, sometimes you don't know where that, where that debt came from or, or how that added up into resentment that you feel about your work, right? Well said. In a later episode um, with one of our guests, you said it well. You said this 
you think it's fake it till you make it, but it turns out it's fake it till you explode. Fake it till you have to quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fake it till you quit. So after the coffee and a lot of texting back and forth <laughs> on the text machine, uh, we decided we wanted to um, more purposefully explore this hypothesis um, and gathered five guests that we um, both respect, but also that we thought lend a different view to um, the self-advocacy question, mm -hmm. um, either by sector or by where they are in their own career. Mm -hmm. um, and we recorded five of those in studio and then hosted the live event where we talked to um, two at the same time. Right. And during these episodes that you hear, you'll find that we learned about a lot of different tools. We did. Um, that was actually, if there's, for the listeners, um, Ellie and I did just very intentionally decide to craft this so that you could listen and then go try and do. Um, so there's tools throughout every episode. Um, we'll give you a kind of a quick menu. Every guest talked about um, self-awareness as the bedrock of mm -hmm. self-advocacy. Um, and that, ironically, you probably can't do high-quality self-awareness by yourself. More of a team sport. More of a team sport. And you need some truth-tellers next to you. Mm -hmm. um, the other uh, tool that came up was something that um, one of our guests called the inner mentor. Um, sort of imagining the best older version of you um, and giving yourself advice in a way that... Um, maybe is a little kinder or a little wiser than we tend to talk to ourselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, alter egos came up quite a bit. This is one that Ellie and I have a lot of fondness for. Um, and uh, alter egos came up in, I would say, almost every episode. Mm -hmm. And upon reflection, I think I use alter egos five or six times a day. Really? Yeah. We should, we should do a whole spinoff on alter egos. Okay. <laughs> I always forget to take out my alter ego and use it. I just forget. Interesting. One of our guests confessed that he had lost track of if, if he was actually had become his alter ego. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That happened. Um, and the last two worth mentioning are, you know, the reclaiming of the signals, um, you know, self-advocacy, especially in a professional environment is going to be uncomfortable. And the message you'll hear throughout is embracing that as being okay. You know, when your heart rate's up and you're starting to sweat or your body's getting warm, those are not flea signals. Those are, yep, it's hard, keep going signals. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of our guests reminded us of that. And then last, you know, I think uh, we all do a pretty decent job of invisibly asking ourselves what the worst things are that could happen based on a particular decision. Um, but we heard consistently that that decision tree also works when you ask yourself what's the best thing that could happen and really laying that out as a method to prepare and also, um, you know, remove some fear from the conversations. Maybe make it more fun, exciting. Best things are way more fun than <laughs> worst things. It's true. Guests? So of the uh, five... Of the seven guests, uh, we recorded five in studio. We talked to uh, Bob Sang, uh, who is a practicing corporate lawyer. Um, he gave us a lot of insight into um, his experience um, 
as a man um, and talked about the transition he made from the corporate law firm, from a law firm environment to corporations. Mm -hmm. We talked to Jenny Evans, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Powerhouse. Uh, she's also um, written several fantastic books. If you're listening, you should just type in Jenny Evans Powerhouse, and you will come up with a lot of good information. Um, Jenny was fantastic and, and highlighted a number of the tools that we talked about already. And we talked to Trish Adams, um, who gave us a really unique perspective as someone who has recently retired um, after a very long and successful career as one of the only female executives um, and chief merchants uh, at a Fortune 50 company. That's right. We also talked to our friend Alana, who is an independent consultant um, who helps companies with change management and communications. So she had some really good tools, and we talked a lot about self-awareness and, and your team and, and the accuracy of self-awareness um, with Alana. And then we talked uh, to Kate, uh, Kate Kunkel-Bailey, who owns the 318 Cafe, and she talked about a lot of different career experiences that she's had that led her to um, buy, her own, buy her own business and create her own team and cultivate her own experience because she, she hadn't had a lot of uh, really the right fit experiences along the way. Um, on teams that other people had created. Uh, and then our live episode, we're going to go into it here in just a sec. Uh, we have uh, two really amazing guests. Uh, the first is Margaret Murphy. She's the former president and COO of Olson, a local um, Minneapolis advertising agency. She is now the founder and CEO of a loyalty marketing consultancy called Bold Orange. Um, and then we also had Charles Yule, who is a brand strategist, creative director, and founder of a uh, local um, beloved light, uh, bike poster brand, Art Crank. And as we go into this episode, you'll find that it begins um, kind of in the middle of a sentence. We, were, we had just brought Margaret and Charles up onto the stage and had just informed them that we had looked up their Wu-Tang alter ego names on the internet. And Margaret's was Fanatical Warlock. And Charles's, Charles's was Master Block Warrior. So we were just letting them know that. And then we were having a little audio break a la um, public radio live, <laughs> live recording. So uh, that's where our live episode begins with us on stage at the River Room, the Astor Cafe in lovely uh, downtown-ish Minneapolis. And with that, uh, we hope that you love this season and uh, uh, 2.0 of Professional Humans. Thanks. Um, I, I named you guys. Um, what can that alter ego do that Margaret can't do? Actually, I don't have an alter ego. Do you need um, one? I always tell myself in situations to just kind of power through. And so uh, I don't have a nickname for myself other than whatever you just gave me. Um, and That's uh, fanatical warlock. I usually, uh, I think my out-of-body experience is my the same voice that I have, just telling me to, what do you have to lose? Nice. 
Do you sweat like Aileen described? <laughs> Only because I'm premenopausal. Okay. <laughs> well, that, that would suggest that I'm super fucked. Because <laughs> if I'm already sweating, then... <laughs> It's a good night to have a high forehead. <laughs> Charles. Yes. Do you have an alter ego, and what can that alter ego do that Charles cannot do? Well, this is an interesting question for me, because you may actually be talking to my alter ego right now. I'm no longer sure. What? Um, so when I was in college, um, I was initially studying to be a secondary English teacher. And part of the course requirements for that was you had to take an acting class, which is something that I would have under no other circumstances ever done. Um, I'm just not an actor. They made you but act. They made, they made me take an acting class. Oh. And what I learned in that acting class was that to get yourself in a position to play a character, you have to become that character at some level. You have to find yourself in that character and be that person. And the thing that I took away from that, in any situation where I felt uncomfortable or less than confident, was that I was going to portray a person who was perfectly comfortable in that situation and just go with it and dominate. And I've been doing that for so goddamn long that I can't figure out if I'm me or just playing a character <laughs> anymore. So you may be, in fact, talking to my alter That's ego That's brilliant. Right now. That just blew my mind. That's awesome. It's been a while. Also, now I know what happened to Ma Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I figured it out. Uh, cool. So before we approached either of you with the topic of self-advocacy, was this something that you named and you know were aware of in your own in your own career path? Go ahead, Margaret. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yes, I don't think I. Named it till I was much older. Mm. Um, so I think uh, I went through a lot of years of not understanding what I was trying to do. Um, but I think as the years of experience came on, I became more and more conscious of it. Can I ask a follow-up? And I'll ask the same of you. Um, what filters did you use throughout your career to decide, like, this is a moment, and I mean, this might be in hindsight, right? But this is a moment I got to go for. Or this is a moment I can let go, right? Because I think that's some of the hardest stuff to know. Yeah, I think for me, um, and again, it's in hindsight for sure, um, was understanding the scarcity of the moment. Like, mm -hmm. did I see that there was going to be more of these? Did I see that I had the right boss or the right environment at the time? And if I thought that I was in a scarce situation or in a scarce environment, I was more apt to be bolder than if I was in an area where I saw there was plentiful opportunity and maybe now wasn't the time. That's interesting. What about you? Um, I don't know that I ever thought of it as self-advocacy by that name, but the idea is something that I think rings very familiar with several points in my career, and some of it is just that you know, the acting idea where it's like, well, if I don't really know this, I'm going to act like I do, and we're going to go with where that gets me. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the follow-up? Because I need to be reminded of things. Sure. Um, your super brave guy has a short memory. Yes. Yes. Yes, which um, is how he got to be that. <laughs> Can you feed him his lines? Yeah. Um, what are the filters you use? Uh, one of the things we encounter with all of our guests yeah. is picking the moment is actually part of the problem. Mm. It's part of the challenge, okay. right? What are the filters you used, maybe? I think if there's a filter that I go back to consistently, it's 
can anybody do this better than me? Is anybody else better prepared or better positioned to do this than me? And no matter how unlikely it is that I might be the best person for that job, if the answer is nope, it's just you, then I go for it. That's interesting. You both talked about scarcity, but different. Like your scarcity was the moment, and your scarcity was like, you know, <laughs> competition. <laughs> competition. <laughs> yeah. Is but anybody even else stupid enough to do this? No. <laughs> But even in that, I think that might be part of the struggle, right? Um, if we could all ask, can anyone do this better than me, and then reflect on a really honest answer, um, or get to a really honest answer without the, all the barriers of imposter syndrome, and of course, everyone can do this better than me. I'm certain of it. You know, how, do you, how do you get through that? I'm going to ask both of you. I just did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll dive in. I guess it helps to pick something to do that nobody else seems to want to or have gotten around to so you don't have as much competition to sort of be like, you know, the most prepared, most willing, most self-deceptive individual in question. But but some of it, I think, it's just it's, it's a good process of being able to step back and look at what you're actually capable of. And as much as that can lead to self-doubt, I think there's also confidence to be discovered there and maybe, you know, giving yourself a little bit better assessment to say, you know what, yeah, actually you have done this and you can do it again and do it better. Yeah, cool. Margaret, how about you? Yeah, and I would say I think in those situations you have to break it down, right? So it becomes more micro things than macro things. So do I think I'm a better... Uh, manager? Do I think I'm a better writer? Do I think I'm a better uh, strategist? And instead go into, you know, uh, micro things, which is, you know, do I feel that I can understand a business problem in a shorter amount of time than someone else? Mm -hmm. Do I feel that I'm an active listener and when a client talks to me about a problem, I can, in my mind, envision a potential solution uh, on the fly where other people can't? And so trying to find and kind of sliver those things into um, kind of micro micro pieces and then taking the ones that you feel are you're better at and being able to articulate that back to whoever you're trying to advocate to. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably the bigger challenge is can you take those and then articulate back how that kind of comes to life? No, no, if you don't mind, sorry, yeah, please. That, that's super cool because the idea of just finding something within that challenge that you are ready for, that you can own, and using that sense of familiarity to sort of move forward with it. How do you advise less experienced people? I know you're you're building a team. You've built teams in the past. How do you advise uh, or mentor less experienced person who's asking that question and finding uh, I have a bunch of shit to learn before I'm the best at this? Well, I think uh, if you do your job well, you're helping them see some of it. So maybe they don't see it because mm -hmm. they're young, but I think you ideally, hopefully you see it. Mm -hmm. And so you can help them kind of um, find those slivers and then say, you know what, here's a couple things where I think you do really well and you should probably try to find some opportunities where you can do more of that. Um, and maybe it's not the time for a promotion, but this is where you should really lean into because um, you've got tremendous potential to set yourself apart. I also think for me, I coach young people um, that they should stay in uh, tough situations longer because they're going to learn a lot more and they get burnt out or they think this isn't going to help my career evolve and in reality, they're going to come at situations with much more experience because they've 
lived in very tough situations or had to deal with tough situations or got to witness people in tough situations. And I think um, you learn your best in situations like that. Mm -hmm. Cool. We heard that a lot in the, the episodes that we recorded in the studio. Um, people reflecting back on their, their younger, the earlier part of their career were like, yeah, I just did it and it sucked and mm -hmm. I worked through it and, and I'm super glad that I did. And then as, they, as they've gotten more experienced and, and have um, more capacity and, and more experience to offer, I was like, no, I, no I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's like it becomes easier to advocate for yourself, not just because uh, you're older, but I think just the, the debt ratio is different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind if I jump, jump in on I that for a second? I think as, as a manager, as a leader, I think one of the best ways to show confidence in someone is to give them the latitude and the ability to take chances and make mistakes. And I personally have never learned anything from doing something right the first time. <laughs> Fortunately, I've done very few things right the first time <laughs> and had ample opportunities to learn from that. And I think when you show somebody not just tell them, but show them in a work environment that I'm going to trust you on this because I think you're good at it and you may not get it perfect, but you're going to learn something from it that's going to make you better at it in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think having the space to do that, knowing that you're with a team that has your back and is going to let you take some of those chances, make some of those mistakes and learn from them is huge. Nice. Yeah, I would, I would echo that. I would say also that to be very appreciative of situational context um, and so people get into situations and they don't give themselves permission to realize how much context is in those situations. Mm -hmm. And I think um, when you're young in your career, back to, you know, you don't understand, wow, I just learned these three things because I had, I was in this particular situation. Um, and so, I, again, I would give yourself permission to spend some time with just context within situations to drive that. One of the um, things we talked about at the start was the hypothesis we started with that the experience of why self-advocacy was hard was gendered. And we talked about sort of liberating ourselves from finding that. Not that it's not gendered, but um, we wanted to hear from each of you about your thoughts on maybe even as you reflected on the own, your own moments that you really went for, how much did you feel aware of being... Um, a man or a woman in a work environment, or or not, right? And then, and actually, it, the challenges you faced in hindsight feel like they would have been the same. Margaret, I can start with you. I can start with that. Um, I've spent ninety five, maybe ninety eight percent of my career um, on with leadership teams that were all men, and I was primarily the only woman, um, and. So in hindsight, um, it's been very reflective for me to think back to different things. And I think uh, my biggest takeaway was I think I self-advocated well. I think because I was a woman, it was interpreted differently. Mm -hmm. And so it was learning how to shift the... Um, language and the bo both body and verbal language differently so that uh, male counterparts would consume what I was trying to communicate um, versus uh, judge it. And um, I've had lots of up and downs in that department, I'll just tell you that. <laughs> um, 
What kind of tools did you put together for that? Fortitude, <laughs> grit, um, a few tears probably. Uh, you know, I think my tools uh, evolved every situation. Um, I think uh, it was relying on mentors, but in hindsight, I didn't know they were my mentors. Mm -hmm. So I would seek advice or I would be having a cocktail with a friend and I've said uh, that 98% of the mentors I've had in my life, I didn't know they were my mentors at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think a tool for me was having a good network of people that I confided in or uh, sought different things from, both men and women. Uh, I think a tool for me was uh, really working on the communication and the language of how to articulate um, what I was trying to say based on who it was. So um, being very conscious of, again, both men and women in my career, and within those, it's not a gender thing. Everybody kind of interprets things differently. Mm -hmm. So giving, me, giving myself permission to spend time with who exactly am I trying to talk to, how exactly do they best consume information, what do they get behind, what do they see as success, and then how do I uh, bring together my argument or my uh, construct that I'm trying to explain to them or get across to them. So those were a couple tools for sure. That's interesting, that's like how you, that's a pitch. <laughs> but you're the product, yeah. yeah. No, I was actually just thinking before we walked up here that one of my favorite, I guess, memes from the last couple of years has been Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man, and I just—I never thought I'd be portraying that role on in front of a in front of a live audience. So it's 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 actually kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> and that's a wrap. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry. Was that was that a, no? I think maybe the the things that have helped me most as a person as a professional one being raised in a family where there was never a question that everyone was equal and everyone had the ability to achieve whatever they wanted to whether you were male or female no matter what that was the perspective that my parents raised us with and when i got into the advertising and design business i've been fortunate to work with a lot of really brilliant strong insightful uh, women leaders who have taught me a lot about it and to work in such a collaborative industry where you have the opportunity to learn from people every day. And I think when you get into that kind of atmosphere, some of those differences at least seem to become secondary when the idea is the important thing. And if you find ways to work together to make those ideas better mm -hmm. and to succeed, then at least for a few seconds, then the differences matter a little bit less. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm interested in some of the, um, the stories that you have where it didn't go that well. Like you, you, you needed to make a decision to advocate for yourself, and you did, and you decided, yes, now is the time. And then it just didn't go the way you expected or it didn't turn out the way you wanted to. What happened? Let's get into the, let's get into the stories. Let's talk about failure. <laughs> You know it doesn't take me long to come around to that conversation. <laughs> well, especially when you're talking with me, but yes. Oh, come on. Who wants to start? I have two very clear ones. Um, they come right to my mind. Uh, the first one... Are they I was, from today? 
I was what? <laughs> just this morning. Just this morning. <laughs> Why, just today? About 10 minutes ago. Um, it's another side effect of being premenopausal. Wait, um, 10 minutes ago, she was on this show. <laughs> no, I think for me, one was when I was younger in my career, and I was, uh, in my mind, self-advocating for myself, and I didn't read the tea leaves the right way. And so the way I came at the situation um, was not the right style, both communication-wise and body language-wise. And so, for lack of a better word, I was denied what I was asking for. But what I learned from it, and this is a true story, I put a Post-it note on my computer, and the Post-it note just said, don't. <laughs> and all it meant was like, don't just go charge over there and say this, or don't, ju like, just think, like, stop and think, but I didn't have the word stop and think at the time, I just had the words don't. Um, and so it was like, don't, and I, it was on my computer for years. So that was an early uh, one, and then later in my career, um, much later in my career, I had a boss at the time who um, wasn't used to a strong personality, wasn't used to quick decisions, um, and wasn't used to um, kind of real-time action. Like, you know, we can do four things at once and let's just go, go, go. Um, and so I was taken off-site, it's a true story, I was taken off-site for lunch. Like out back? Pretty much. Um, <laughs> this sounds like a Sopranos episode. But there episode. was lunch, I like there this. was lunch. And we had lunch, and um, I was basically given feedback on all the things that I was not doing well. Um, but it all tied back to how uncomfortable this person was based on the fact that I'm more of a real-time activator. And so our styles were very different. And instead of addressing the style differences and saying, how do we come to these decisions similarly, the action was, I think if I just take her off site, make it seem really formal, get really serious about it, that you know, I'll snap her out of it. And I'm gonna guess how'd no. that go? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say, fuck that shit. Um, <laughs> no, um, it didn't go well. It was very, yeah. it was very debilitating for me for personally. Or, for them or for you? Um, at the in the moment. It was, uh, you've got to be kidding me. This is happening? Like, really? Um, but afterwards, it was back to the self-confidence and the self-advocacy. It was very hard to pick up the bootstraps and say, nope, I just, back to fortitude and grit, and I know that um, we're making progress. I know that we're trying to change cultures. I know and I can see and I'm getting feedback from others around me that we need to just stay the course and mm -hmm. keep going. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it was very, very challenging on the soul, for sure. Yeah. What does it look like, um, and I want you to have a chance to answer too, but what does it look like as a leader now done well, right? When you see others or you're creating the conditions for others to self-advocate well, what is it, when it's going well and you're like, yeah, keep going, keep going, this is good, right? Um, you know, I think for me, I... I try to encourage them to have empathy, but with expectation. So how are you empathetic to the situation? How are you empathetic to people, whether they're a new manager, whether they're, it's a very challenging project, whether it's 
there's external forces. How are you aware of the situation, but you also have a very clear expectation? And so it's driving the ability uh, and get their mind around be empathetic but with expectation. And doing that allows you to, I think, um, make people more successful than they think they can be mm -hmm. um, and more accountable uh, the organization is. Um, but everybody feels, not, and not every day, but everybody feels good about it. Um, yeah. And they feel that it's very transparent and truthful um, and inspiring in some ways, but challenging. Um, but they understand the expectation, but they feel that they've got the latitude to do it in a way that maybe they need to or maybe they do it differently. Yeah. We don't want to skip your failures. <laughs> How much time do we have? You're gonna just keep, we'll just keep this the might tape be rolling. another one of them if we keep going long enough. We might need to change out the yeah. tape again. again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're using cassettes. I don't know. No. It would be so cool if you were doing this on cassette. We need a new computer to record. Charles. <laughs> no, no. I, I had so many to choose from. Thank you for giving me time to consider the possibilities. <laughs> but. Um, no, I think the, the one that's perhaps most germane to this conversation was um, a situation that I encountered a few years ago when I was going from um, a very large organization in sort of a middling leadership role to a higher level leadership role in a very small company uh, and thinking that, okay, this is an opportunity for me. I can kind of do things the way I want to and I'm working for this small company. And after about six months, realizing that the reason that I had been hired was to do all of the work that the two partners at the agency didn't want to do so they could go do the stuff that they wanted to. and Like not work? Well, it wasn't not working. It was just different work. Fun stuff. And I had sort of seen it's like, oh, we're going to be like, you know, there's, there's three of us partners in this, and we're going to be leading the agency. And it was, no, it was going to be the two of them working together. And, well, you keep the rest of this going while mm -hmm. we're doing that. And I don't even know if they knew consciously that that was what they were looking for when they hired me, but that was kind of what the job had become. And realizing that's like, okay, well, I've committed to this. I can't exactly back out right now. Um, but what am I going to make of this? Because it's not going to be what I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I've got people I really like here who are depending on me, who I need to you know, be able to support as a manager, as a leader, and trying to figure out how to make that. And thankfully, six months later, the entire company disappeared, and I didn't have to figure out anything <laughs> about it anymore, um, which really saved me a lot of awkward conversations. Um, but in terms of, the, 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 I think the main takeaway that I had from that, um, two things. One, I think when you take a new job, you don't know the job that you have, and the people who have hired you don't know who they have for at least six months. It takes six months to figure that out. And the other perhaps more valuable thing that I took away from that is that if I am going to commit to an organization full time um, with all of my heart and soul and whatever it is that I bring to it, I need to have a leadership role in that organization. Not what looks like a leadership role but isn't really, not what a is a nice title, mm -hmm. but I need to have an actual say in the direction of how resources are articulated, which basically has made me unemployable up to this point. So <laughs> here's to that. You could call it unemployable, or you could say, I'm a wild pony and you can't tame me. That is not my Wu-Tang name, but I will accept that. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend horse over pony also. <laughs> 
You're I didn't want to make it weird. <laughs> Just trying not to make it weird, you guys. Too late. <laughs> I think it's your turn to ask a question. Oh, yeah? But I don't know for sure. It can be my turn. Okay. Um, you know, we have uh, talked about, you guys have just described your own failures, and I asked a question about leaders creating the conditions, right? You guys are on, you know, we've talked to a lot of guests are on the other side of things, maybe, where self-advocacy looks different, right? You're both, um, you know, have summited a number of mountains already, right? So Old. Old. <laughs> You're both. Please don't cut us in half and count I, our rings. I are you calling this donkey next to me old? What are you talking about? You're young in geologic our times. Our, our guests are cheersing each other. I think we've lost control of the <laughs> podcast. But, um, you know, one of the things about self-advocacy is hard is that it requires practice. And um, that requires fumbling. But if there was going to be, um, you know, a piece of advice that you could give to either someone mid-career or someone in a new career, in a new environment, right, Tr transitioning industries or whole new things about how to pick those moments, less about what you do in the moment, but how do you pick the moment? Because what Ellie started us off in is these micro decisions to avoid resentment. And resentment just chips away at your experience working in an environment. It erodes productivity and all those things. So do you have, if you were going to give sort of a direction on how to pick a moment, or even if it's like, I guess, go for them all. I don't know. But do you mind if I pick Please? I think the best advice that I could give about picking moments is that you shouldn't wait for the right one because it's never going to come. I think a lot of what... I thought I was going to accomplish in my career were things that I kept waiting to happen for the right mm -hmm. moment. And it just like it never really came. And the best things I've ever done were things that I did at the worst possible time, under the worst possible circumstances, um, with resources that no sane individual would have gone <laughs> forward with. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to lie, it hasn't always worked out. But what I learned from that is that waiting for the right time means you just spend your life waiting. Um, and maybe that doesn't always work out, but if you feel strongly enough about something and feel invested enough in it to take a chance on it, waiting for the right time is not going to make you more successful. Yeah, That's and I would, I would piggyback on that um, to the extent that I think people feel at certain moments they have to self-advocate, but it's not in their soul, right? It's, it's I... I've been here three years, I should push for a promotion. I uh, just joined this company and I should ask for a bigger raise. Um, and I would say that people don't spend enough time on what really moves their soul or gets them energized. And I would recommend and, and advocate for when you have your best day, what are you doing, right? And maybe it's not a thing, maybe it's how you feel, maybe it, maybe it is a thing. Um, but people don't spend enough time f with their best days. They spend a lot of time with their worst days or their average days. And I think when you spend time with your best day, you get so much energy. Mm -hmm. And then you advocate for that versus you advocate for what would be a thing. Um, and I think when you advocate for that, by and large, for the most part, you should get it. 
It's when you advocate for things that aren't um, on your best day and you just feel like it's a more of a uh, societal uh, reason you should do it, then I think you gotta be conscious of when and when not to do it. And if I could piggyback, piggyback on that for a second, um, and maybe this is more of a question. This is a double piggyback situation. Yeah, totally. There's lots of piggy, 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 and I think maybe part of, you know, if I'm picking up on what you're saying correctly, is looking for the parts of that that don't, maybe if they don't seem right, they're the ones that you can truly enjoy and, you know, make your work more fulfilling as a result. It's such good advice. You're sort of advocating for the experience you want versus advocating for yourself, right? And um, I wish my, one of my biggest self-advocacy failures, I played into the trap you were just talking about, um, and before I joined corporate world, I sort of had been in, I was a college soccer coach at the time. It's a long, it's a long story. Different podcast. A different podcast. But I walked, I essentially literally walked into my boss's office and said, I've been here for two years. And, and it was a learning moment because she told, literally told me to get out of her office, <laughs> which I did <laughs> promptly. Um, but if I had thought more carefully about actually what I love about this job and the, I wanted to replicate the certain days and experience and what I brought to it and sort of the advice that you just gave, I, th I think, well, for one, I would not have walked into her office on that day. And if I did, I would have had a better reason yeah. to it. Probably would have got the same result, let's be clear. But Yeah, and I think as a, as a manager or a leader in an organization, which I think are two different things, by the way, there's um, management and leadership are not at all the same. Um, but so somebody that manages people your best, most exciting moment is when you have amazing talent, right? Yeah. And your most amazing talent plays to their strengths. And so it's when you're not playing to your strengths that you want to be seen as amazing talent and you can just feel it, right? It's just not there. But if you have an A team of talent uh, in an organization uh, and everybody's playing to their strengths, and not every day, right? But, but you're in the right lane, for lack of a better word, um, there's nothing better, there's not, not a greater high in your career than working with people that are smarter than you, that push you, that you know, leverage your strengths, uh, and that you can learn from on your weaknesses. There's nothing better, in my opinion, uh, in the work life. So I think it just plays to that. That's well said. Well, that was really inspirational, so I'm going to bring it all down a notch and <laughs> take us into lightning round. So we have been doing a thing called lightning round, in all of the episodes that we've done. And your job is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a sentence, it's a scenario, and your job is to answer just the first thing that comes to mind, how you would respond in that scenario. You can bring um, any of your identities to the lightning round. You can be the Wu-Tang um, identity that I've assigned you, if you've um, connected with that individual yet, uh, you could be your former self or your current uh, self. You could be an actor, but you just have to answer the question. Horse. You could be a horse. horse. You just have to answer the question quickly. So 
Um, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna say it's not a question. The scenario. I'm gonna say it, and then Margaret will go first, and then Charles, and then we'll go to the next one because I'm not giving you time to think again. That's your okay. first mistake. Never give me time to think. Okay. You're asked to take on more responsibility with no title or compensation change. Yeah. Let's go. Lightning round. Yep. Yeah. Yes, for sure. You're going to do it. Hands down. Yep. Okay. Which self are you answering with? My whole being. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the one I've been stuck with since college, apparently. All right. Charles? Yes. Do either of yes. you want to say why? Because I think if you're a super curious person, which I think is an amazing trait in life, you always want more things to be exposed to. And I think if the more you allow yourself to be exposed to things, the better experience you have, the better experience you have, the more you understand what you like, the more you understand what you like, the better you're able to self-advocate, the better you're able to self-advocate, the happier you are. If you give the mouse a cookie? <laughs> nibble, nibble, nibble. Um, in perhaps shorter form, I've never been given a job that I wasn't at least already half doing. And I think part of the way that you get there <laughs> is <laughs> taking so on. <laughs> so, yeah, this title that you've actually been mostly, almost sort of completely doing for the last nine months. Okay, well, it's on your business card you now. Congrats. Since you're painting the house, do you want to be the house painter? Yes. Man, that just made me realize I've never been given a job that I was capable of, <laughs> that I was ready for. It's a good thing your boss <laughs> skipped out on tonight. <laughs> I was very clear that day. I was very clear. Are you sure? Me? Um, okay, number two. That's B. Uh, B. You're asked to work extra hours to mentor somebody who's doing a shitty job. Yes. I'm probably the one who's doing the shitty job. <laughs> so, yes. Um, Margaret, could you stay after the show and mentor Charles? <laughs> Sorry. It's going to be a late night. No, I, and, and honestly, in all sincerity, and I think you expressed something similar earlier, Margaret, um, all of us in our careers have benefited from the wisdom and counsel of people who are smarter than us and more experienced than us and share things out of the goodness of their hearts and the belief that we will someday be worthwhile contributors to society. So, yeah. He's going to do it. Yeah, and I think when if we could all look at our careers and we have one or two, if not many, instances where we were struggling and somebody came in and helped us or gave us advice or again, there was some situational context where we learned an incredible thing from. And uh, the, when I was in those situations and the person struggling, the person that helped me had no idea. They had mm -hmm. no idea. Mm -hmm. I had a client years uh, after I had done something, um, we were leaving a restaurant and I rolled down my window and thanked uh, the valet and wished him a good night and appreciate it was a crappy weather or something. I don't even really, and honest to God, this is like seven years later, this client sends me a note through LinkedIn, hasn't been a client for seven years, and said, I just wanted you to know that this was a profound effect on me on how you treat others in moments that you know aren't ideal or whatever, and it was just like, what? Um, so I just think it matters. And I was that valet. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. 
This is the best lightning round we've had so far. Number E. Q. I am going out of order. <laughs> you find out you're getting paid way less than somebody newer who has less experience. I know this has never happened. <laughs> so, Tuesday? <laughs> yeah. Um, first, you have a lot of profanity and get really pissed off. Uh, and then you create a plan of how to address it and how you, what you think your best path is to solve for it. Um, yeah, what she said. <laughs> Swear a lot. No, no, and then fix a, it. Yeah, no, well, uh, yeah, and I think honestly this is one of the things that's sort of kept me independently employed is having a little bit more leverage to negotiate for what I think I'm worth on a case-by-case -case basis versus on a salary basis. Again, not right for everybody, but I think there's something to be said for that, for being able to determine what you think you're worth to an organization is and do that mm. um, with every project. I wondered about that, because that could go either way. Because freelancers sometimes, well, every day, get asked to work for free. Yeah. It's not that, that's not what we mean by freelancers. No. Uh, so you have to advocate for yourself every time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's great practice. <laughs> <laughs> Do I want to eat this month? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for indulging us in our questions. Now we're going to turn it out um, to these nice people. I'm not sure how many of them there are. Really, I, I can't see you. It seems like thousands upon thousands. thousands. <laughs> Literally, you should see the crowds outside. Yeah, it's like a, it's a Trump rally. It's just millions and millions of people. <laughs> we can edit. He said we could edit anything out. <laughs> a lot more teeth. Yeah. <laughs> well, does anybody have questions for our guests? Jamie. Like when you don't trust your alter ego. Mm -hmm. when, your, when your alter ego takes things too far. Yep. Yeah. Probably. Do you guys want to... Yeah. This is a hard question. You have to answer. Yeah, That's I don't know. I, I, I think, here. you know, have, having, having outkicked my personal coverage on more occasions than I can keep track of, yeah, I, I think there, you know, you do things that you can't believe you just did or commit to things that you can't believe you just committed to. And the good thing is it's not usually the end of the world. Um, and again, I don't think I've ever learned anything from a situation I was fully prepared to deal with or encounter. Um, but yeah, you find yourself like, oh, what did I just agree to? And that wasn't me. So sometimes, sometimes <laughs> the best Sasha. learning moment is figuring figuring your way out of it. Um, I don't know if that's an answer, but it's the one I got. And I would just say I'm the one with the don't on their computer. So <laughs> uh, I would agree that yes, there are. Um, but I don't think you know what it is until you cross it, right? How many yeah. times did you have to don't? It was on there a while. Um, you said years. It, but it only happened once, and then it was just a... Just and I would made the note myself. I mean, I thought, what do I, you know, I should just put a little governor on myself. And so I just put the word don't on a post-it note. <laughs> a little and nobody governor. understood what it meant, and ironically, no one asked. Um, <laughs> they just assumed just it applied there. to them. Right. You know? <laughs> um, don't. But I have actually given that coaching and advice to people in their careers that I have seen either mm -hmm. you know, go too far or str struggle with things um, and not give them t themselves time or permission to slow down and decide how they want to handle a situation. So I've 
use my own pain for their gain, hopefully. Mm -hmm. That's a good perspective because a lot of what we've talked about is self-advocacy, summoning enough to do, but restraint is part of it too. Yeah. yeah. My Beyonce fucks it up all the time <laughs> and she just uh, asks Ellie to apologize <laughs> <laughs> the next day and talk through it. Happens all the time. What else? I see a uh, Kara. Hi. My Beyonce does not fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to know from the leaders you've been around or had, what are the traits or the characteristics that you have just thought were hands down the best? When you think of, you were like, that was transformational in my career. What did they do or what did they say or I think for me, honestly, it's a combination of people that I would never want to emulate. No, I'm serious about that. Like, I witnessed things that I would be like, I am never going to do that. Um, and I'm very sincere about that. I've learned equally from what I don't want to do to people that have completely inspired me. So I think the first part of it is um, taking in really bad situations but figuring out what you really learned out of it. Um, and then another thing for me is people that can understand the audience that they're talking to, and that doesn't mean it's multiple people. It might be one person. It might be whatever. And in relatively, uh, if not real time, know how to communicate to either help them continue to go down whatever they're doing, um, make them do things they never thought they actually could, um, help them see what they're learning in the middle of being completely fried. Um, and so it's a communication uh, piece of it, I think. And the third piece for me would be leaders that are really curious. Um, I'm a very curious person, um, and I get energy out of that. And when I see somebody trying to figure things out or never being satisfied um, with I know, I know what I need to know, and it's like, no, I never know everything I should know. Um, that, to me, is very, very inspiring. Yeah, I think on a similar note, the leaders who've had the most positive impact on my career are the ones who have knowingly put me in situations that they knew I was uncomfortable with, that they knew maybe I thought I wasn't ready for with enough confidence that I would find a way through it. And I think on a negative side, um, when... I've worked with people who seem sort of detached and indifferent or who didn't seem to have some vested interest in making me better at what I did. It's like, there's something I don't need to do if I'm ever in this situation again. Uh, let, me, let me be on the other side of this. Let me be the one who does the thing that I wish somebody else would have done. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of us can reference multiple points in our career when something like that has happened. The good news is we take it with us and we try to do better. Yes, here in the front row. I don't know your name. Michael. Hi, Michael. Hi. Um, self-advocacy, is it a moment, or is, there, is, it, is it constant self-improvement, or both? I think the working theory here is that it's an always-on practice, um, because you, it's probably difficult to spot the moments to go after if you're not sort of 
practicing that on a relative basis. I'd be curious to know what both of you think. Yeah, I just I, I don't know if, if it is something that you could effectively turn off or turn on. Mm -hmm. It feels like you know I, I don't want to say attitude, but that's the best word I have at uh, at my immediate disposal. Where it's something that's just part of how you comport yourself in situations, and it's not that it's always up to eleven, but it's a resource that's always there if you need to draw on it. Um, I don't know if it's something that you know you just turn on in a moment and that makes all the difference. Uh, but you are being controlled by an actor, an inner actor. That is entirely possible. <laughs> they might know. Yeah, and I think for me, I, I'm not conscious of being self-advocating. Um, I think with experience, so I don't know if I would practice it as much as I think different experiences make me more confident and in that confidence, then I probably advocate more. Um, I'm probably naive in the sense of knowing when I self-advocate and when I don't. Uh, again, a lot of mine is probably more hindsight reflection. Um, there's certainly key moments, um, but on an everyday basis, I think it's things more in the rearview mirror than in the front in the in the front windshield. Um, and so I think, you know. Again, the biggest opportunity to self-advocate and strengthen that muscle is to give yourself permission to experience a lot of things and be really a sponge um, and find people that bring the best out in you and find people that, uh, you know, you, <laughs> you witness the worst and you don't want to do it. Um, and I just want to ask you, because I think you've had a lot more experience managing people than I have, do you think that being able to advocate for others, people who report to you, eventually makes you a better self-advocate, that you learn something about that process when you're doing it on behalf of someone else? Yeah, I, abs I absolutely do. I mean, I think um, I've always said to people when they come and say, you know, I've been here two years, can I get a promotion? Um, you know, my advice to them is, or, you know, you, you're in leadership roles, again, management roles, uh, and, you know, you know people that kind of, for lack of a better word, like suck up to you, right? And my answer has always been, I don't want to hear what you're doing from yourself. I want to hear what you're doing from your peers. Um, and I want your peers to say, I, I, I need them on my project. I can't, oh, they're the best person to do this. That, to me, is what builds um, your reputation than versus just you trying to self-advocate all the, all the time. But I think the more you manage people and work with people and are managed by different managers, um, you take something away from every single situation like that, for sure. Um, and you have to like people. You know, there's a lot of managers out there that can't leave. They'd rather work without people. Um, and I think the best managers I'm like sure people. I'm sure I've never had that boss. <laughs> <laughs> my my takeaway there was bribery. Bribe <laughs> everyone around you. <laughs> I saw a question over here. I don't know your name either. I'm Erin. Erin. Should you repeat the question, maybe? Yeah, the, the question was, how do you advocate for uh, not necessarily taking on more at work, but for, uh, for balance and having better home life balance? But still getting opportunity at work. Oh, yeah, but not missing out on anything. Amen, by the way. 
That's hard. <laughs> well, I, I want to believe in my heart of hearts that self-advocacy is as much about doing what's good for you in the broader sense, which means giving others on a team a chance to contribute more and to spread out responsibility. So if part of the way to do that is to make sure that everybody you're working with is more engaged and you're not carrying so much of things as an individual, I mean, it may not feel like self-advocacy, but what it's doing is creating a better work situation mm -hmm. where one person doesn't have all the responsibility and accountability. Maybe that's a simplistic way to look at it. Like that one time when the other two members of the leadership team didn't do anything and you did all the work? That's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a it's tough, right? The balance is, no, I mean, it's, it's uh, the world's moved to 24 seven. Um, people are like, why aren't you 25 seven? You're really pissing me off. Um, and I think part of it is you need to know what you need from balance. I think people interpret balance differently. And so what you don't wanna do is have your boss define it for you. I think you need to define it. Um, so is it, you know what? I'm gonna do my best work if I'm in the office three days a week and I'm at home two days a week. I know we don't have a work from home policy, but I guarantee you I'm gonna produce some freaking incredible work. And can we do this for three months and I'm gonna prove it to you. And then you do things like that, right? But I think you have to, especially if it's a new boss, you have to define what that means. If it's somebody that you've known for a while or whatever, um, then when you are in a situation where you either don't have balance or um, you're in a situation where you had really good balance and you had great energy and there was a great output, then you make, make that known, right? You have to figure out how to kind of uh, bring that to the surface. People are super busy, right? So unless you um, are really keen on uh, making people aware, uh, then I think the balance issue is candidly more on you than on them. If you make them aware and you give them opportunity to support it or help or give you them ideas of how they can do that or, and again, I'm a firm believer of test and learn. Just give me a little bit of, I'm gonna test this, let's try to figure it out. Um, you know, then, then they feel like they were part of the solution and part of the, and they then take pride in, we well, should see me as a manager, wow. I mean, my whole team is super inspired and that balance is amazing. But the balance for one is, I need to work from home for a day and the balance for the other one is, you know, I'd rather work 60 hours a week and have an extra week of vacation. The third one is I'm young, I want as much as you can do. Maybe you're old too. Um, <laughs> just pile it on, baby. So it depends, you know. Well, I feel like we're all best friends now. Uh, and we can have a little chat. We're gonna come out of the stage and light situation and uh, wrap it up there. What I, uh, I really want to thank you all for being here. This was uh, really fun for us. Uh, I learned a lot. Did you? I learned a lot. Learned a lot. Did you guys learn anything? I learned a lot. Yep. Okay. I am already smarter. Uh, what I would love for you to do is um, make your way to the bar over at the Aster, because there's a great bar over there. You can hang out for a few minutes, but we're going to start to shut things down over here. Um, thanks for coming out tonight. It was really uh, fun to... See some shadows out there. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Professional Humans Podcast. 
We'd love it if you'd follow us on Twitter at ProHumans. You can always reach us at our website, www.prohumans.com. And we'll post show notes and links for each episode there, and you can listen to our past episodes. If you like the podcast, subscribe to it and get future episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, we'd love to get your ideas and feedback, so drop us a note at prohumanspodcast at gmail or talk to us on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.